You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. I was at the game on Tuesday night with my father. Is that is that a, is that a five dollar beer night? That's five dollar beer night, and they're going to have to do that a lot more. <laughs> That's it. Like I mean, like I was sitting there thinking to myself, the five dollar Modelo Miller Light thing is going to have to be expanded even more if they're going to keep people in the seats because you basically were a five hundred team in the month of May after the horrible April, and you're coming into a tough June, and time is running out so quickly that it's basically over at this point. And so how do you get people to come into your stadium? You you buy bucket hats to give away. You you start running commercials. I saw this thing when I was at the ballpark. I don't know if that appeared on television or not. It's better at the the ballpark. And, And you start really pushing the fan experience. Like their menu was better on the 300 level than it was two weeks ago. Like they were, they're they're adding as many amenities as they can, and giveaways as they can, and special nights as they can, because they got to find a way to get you to show up at the stadium. And I was at first, I was like, "Wow, look at all these people here!" And then I realized there was the five dollar beer special. I'm like, "Oh, it's like Wrigley. That's that's what that's how Wrigley Field always worked. It was a picnic that happened to be at the ballpark, and there happened to be a ball game going on." Well, well, holy cow! I, I think if you go back and listen to our last episode, I said something about having to kind of turn into the old Cubs fan mode of thinking to enjoy this team and it made you sick to your stomach and there you are saying that we've got Wrigley Field South. Does this mean I have to be topless at every game I go to? Uh, maybe. I, I, I gotta get the, the tomato colored uh, red spray on me just so I look like I've been sitting out there all summer. The other thing that I found really interesting was a tweet that I got thrown at me from a sports writer in another town who tagged me while he was basically talking to his his fan base. And what he was posing to them was, do you think the White Sox would trade Yohan Moncada or Liam Hendricks or Kendall Graveman because they would fit very well on this team that's actually winning? And when would the White Sox sell off? And I thought about it for a moment. I wrote back to him. I, I think all three of those guys should be available. If you want to take Yohan Moncada's money at this point off the books and the White Sox get an actual offer for him, I deal him because you need to free up as much money as possible because you really don't have a pitching staff next year. You don't. You have, you have Dylan Cease and Michael Kopech right now. And Lance Lynn, you're not going to pick up his option. Lucas Giolito is going to go bye-bye. And Mike Clevenger is going to opt out too, even though I don't think that's a big loss. You, you've got so right. much you have to do for next year. The old man, I guarantee you, is going to look at the receipts at the end of the year and see the amount of people who aren't re-upping their season tickets. And he's going to lower payroll. People have lost complete faith in the front office. That's why you got to remove Han and, and get rid of Williams. And really, Jerry should sell the team. But you're going to have to make massive changes and you have to be open to if somebody knocks on your door, even after how great the Liam Hendricks story was and says, we'll take that and we'll bring it on our team and we'll free up money because you really need a closer. If you don't have any starters, do you need the best closer in baseball? You're going to have to reimagine this team. At some point you have to look out there on the field and say, we don't really have a Mike Trout and a Shohei Otani because I just watched that team come into town, the angels. And that's the difference. They got a bunch of guys like the White Sox on their team, but they have a couple of stars, which we don't have consistent every day, go out there, not go into a funk, always out there stars. You wouldn't rank them at the top 10 at any position. 
I mean, even Luis Robert with his streakiness, he doesn't even show up on the top 20 outfielders right now available in our fantasy baseball league. If you just looked at everybody's overall stats and what they produce in the outfield position, he isn't even in the top 20 outfielders in terms of what he's put out offensively. You don't have that. So you're going to have to make some changes here. Yeah, I, I mean, to, to, to kind of work backwards, Luis Robert Jr. right now is sporting a 260 average and 832 OPS. He is the best player on the team in terms of physical talent and and probably in terms of his ceiling at this point. I mean, I'm sure Tim Anderson might give him a run for his money even at age 30, but he's not really producing on the level of Mike Trout. Mike Trout and Shoei Otani took batting practice off of Lance Lynn and tried to see who could hit the ball further and basically we're trading off who's got the record for the longest home run this year in the stadium. So you've got nothing in terms of the position players where I would sit there and go, we have one guy who is just a transcendent star right now who you have to hold on and build around because the two best guys on the team are Robert and Anderson. And Anderson is, he's a 30 year old shortstop I'm not saying he doesn't have a future, he doesn't have a present, but it's entirely possible that his peak is behind him. He's at least hitting this week, which is really nice to I, see. I, again, it, it's not really a criticism of TA. It's just it's just a, the point is, is that if you're talking about having to build again for another run in a couple of years, if you're talking about doing another rebuild or a retool, I don't know that Anderson is a guy that you sit there and go is absolutely untouchable because right now is where his value might be best for you to unload him. Same thing with Mancada. Same thing with Yasmani Grandal. If somebody needs a catcher right now, Please, by all means, take the guy and make a postseason run with him. Exactly. It's weird to have this conversation at this point in the season based upon where the expectations were. But, I mean, these were the kind of conversations I was hearing when I was at Cork and Carey at the park on Tuesday night. They had won. It was a great atmosphere. But people are already having these discussions at the home of the podcast for fans, by fans, socks in the basement. They are our sponsor. I want to make sure you know that. You do. You heard it at the beginning of the episode. Two-for-one burgers when you dine in on Mondays, non-socks home games, award-winning menu of burgers, also so many ballpark favorites. Bring the entire family in before the game, indoor-outdoor seating, great food at a great price in the shadow of the ballpark at 33rd and Princeton, and uh, great craft beers as well. Dad and I had a couple of those before we headed out after that win on Tuesday. Ed would have fit in because he's trading everybody today. I would even make a case that if somebody offered you enough for Luis Robert Jr., you might at least have to take that into consideration because, to your point, not only do you only have Dylan Cease and Michael Kopech in your starting rotation next year, but as has been amply demonstrated by the Mike Clevenger injury, you literally have nobody sitting at Charlotte right now who is the next wave of starting pitcher that is ready to come up and take their spot because if they were they would be here right now and we would not be looking at Jesse Schulten's doing basically bulk reliever work or having to go, you know, two innings with with Ronaldo Lopez to try and get through these things because we don't have another starting pitcher. You don't have three guys that are ready to come up uh, and, and take their place in the rotation. And if Jerry's not going to spend money on him, if he's not going to let Rick Hahn spend money on him or whoever the GM is next year, where are you going to get this, this stuff from? You're going to have to do it through a trade, which means that even if you feel like the Sox are in contention, if if somebody calls for Yohan Moncada, you might sit there and go, "Okay, I'm going to take a th- I'm going to take some real thought about this because I might want to try and get a couple of major league ready, triple A, double A, starting pitchers who can take the spot of Lucas Giolito and Lance Lynn next year." 
I might want to sit here and think about trading Giolito and getting his replacement back in it and, and finding someone who's going to plug a hole again for next year because th- there's just nothing coming up right now that makes me feel like we can lose guys as a White Sox team and, and, and we'll, the, the team will be fine. Well, I mean, you're essentially going to have to replace Grandal or try to re-sign him. And I don't see anything in Sebi Zavala or any other catcher in the system right now that makes me excited about having to go out and find another catcher. So that's going to be an issue next year. You, you still have the hole that uh, was never fixed at second base. I would let I would let Romy play at this point. Pedro's going, well, you know, we'll see when Elvis gets back. I'm not going to go back and forth. It's whoever's the best player is going to be the everyday second baseman. Let Romy try and take it at that point. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. But he's hitting very well right now, and you're not keeping Elvis Andrus long term. I mean, for all the criticism that I give to the idea that he's Ben Zobras 2.0, it's still the guy that you'd rather see playing every day there just because you want to find out that you have something long-term. You got Tim Anderson, you're probably picking up his option. You got Yuan getting paid a ton of money. Again, if somebody wants to knock on the door and give you something for him to free up those funds, I bet you could apply him better. You're going to have a, a bullpen full of Swiss, like holes like Swiss cheese in a bullpen when next year. And I, you don't worry about that very much because the stupidest thing this team did was spend so much money on a bullpen. You've got plenty of other things that need to be fixed before you do that. So you're going to have to find arms in your system or traveling around out there to bring into your bullpen for next year. And you have just basically at best two fifths of a starting rotation. So you're going to have to make some changes. And I don't like the idea of saying rebuild, because they didn't do that right the first time, so they're not going to do it again. Oh, good God, I hope not. You're going to have to identify where you know what you can get back for some of these guys and maybe make some deals before the trade deadline. And then in the offseason, you're going to have to take any money that you're able to free up when guys come off the books and go out into a free agency market and beat out other teams for talent to bring in here. This team's going to look really different next year already. So that's why I don't think anybody should be like off the table if somebody comes and makes them an offer. Because the way the team was constructed just didn't work. It, I think it's very obvious now. It just didn't work. You can still go and enjoy the the ball game, but it it just didn't work. You didn't end up with like bona fide stars you can depend on every day. You don't have an Otani or a Trout. You don't have those kind of like nobody nobody on this team has shown this year that they are that. And like you said, Luis Robert, very talented guy. Tim Anderson, very t- talented guy. Tim Anderson though is going to command a ton of money when he leaves. And you know this team isn't going to give him what he expects. All of you listening right now won't have that problem. You're going to get what you expect if you go to Window and Door Superstore of Oak Forest. Exterior windows, doors, patio doors, and storm doors. No high-pressure sales. They are not your kitchen. You go to their showroom. You see full examples. All the glass designs are on display. Everything's right there. Forget pictures in a book. See it in person. The owner's in the showroom. There's an owner on site. All of their own installers. They don't farm out the work. They've been doing it like this for 40 years in Oak Forest since 1985. All major brands, custom made, no stock items. That gives you a perfect fit. That's how I know you're going to get what you expect. Stop it and see them. Make them your first stop. They're probably going to be your last stop while you're looking. Half block east of 159th and Ridgeland at 6280 159th Street. See more at windowdooroakforest.com. I don't think you're going anywhere this year. You know, I want you to go somewhere. You know, I, I, I want it to happen. I want to will it to happen. Every time they win a game, I believe, like, oh, here we are. I mean, you, you saw them the other day. When I saw them in person on Tuesday, and you saw the way that that lineup was hitting, every time it came around to the top of that order, 
Whatever pitcher they sent out there, they couldn't get through those guys. And I was like, man, if we could if we could play like this all the time, we'd be deadly. But the thing is, those are like flashes. They're not the consistent way that they actually play. That's the unfortunate thing. The pitcher they went up against is the kind of pitcher who you should be able to beat up on from time to time. He wasn't a very consistent pitcher, and you were able to beat up on a guy that you should beat up on. The problem is that now you got this really difficult schedule coming up, and I, I don't know what, I don't know when you're going to beat up on people. The consistency is the biggest issue. I really think that's the biggest problem. And you're not going to fix that by making one move. You're going to fix that by changing the entire culture and bringing in guys. It's almost like like we said at the beginning of the season. It may take a year for Pedro to figure out what he likes and how he wants to run things. And you may need the massive changes that happened when the White Sox said, we're going to get rid of Carlos Lee and Maglia Ordonez and bring in guys like Scott Pacetnik and Jermaine Dye and go grab this A.J. Pruszynski guy who used to beat us up all the time and put him on our team instead. And, and that's what it's going to take. So, yeah, I, anybody knocks on the door and says, "We, I want Yuan Moncada right now. And it gives me the financial flexibility to go out and, and change the makeup of the team. I'm doing it. You can't let Rick Hahn go and trade a guy like Yohan Moncada for high ceiling prospects. He's got to go and trade Yohan Moncada for, to fill a hole, somebody who's going to help right away on the major league roster. And, and that's, how, that's how this also gets better. And if you do that earlier rather than later, then maybe you do have something where with a, another fresh arm in the rotation or somebody uh, you know, filling, filling a hole somewhere, maybe it is second base, maybe you can start to build some of the consistency around the rest of these guys and see what you have. Well, the hardest thing that they have to do is the thing they're not good at. They have to be able to identify players. Right. Well, they, they yeah, they have to be able to scout talent and then acquire them. And then understand exactly what's going to get that talent to the next level. That's what the Guardians do. The Guardians identify pitchers and do a really good job of saying, okay, we're going to bring this guy into our system and we're going to work on this certain type of pitch and we're going to elevate them. And now all of a sudden we've, we continue to find talent. They keep finding talent. They, they got uh, that, that Allen, they, they were able to get him and bring him uh, yeah, in. Logan Allen. Right. And then Tanner, Tanner Bibby or BB. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it's gotten to a point where a guy who was their second or third best starter last year in Cal Quantrill, because he's underperforming a little bit, he's basically pitching like he's on the White Sox staff. Cal Quantrill is, is you know, going to go from being one of the top Guardians pitchers going into the season to potentially going back into their bullpen because they had two or three guys ready to come up and take spots when some of their pitchers went down. And they had injuries to uh, to uh, Tristan McKenzie and to Aaron Savali, and, and those guys haven't pitched all year, and they're coming back, and, and one of their veterans is going to go down because the young guys were ready. And again, with the White Sox, where is that? And so... You need to somehow find that between now and the start of next year, whether it's in the offseason or at the trade deadline. It's all about development and depth, and that's the things that we don't do. We don't we don't have a lot of depth, and we don't we don't develop things. I mean, like everybody always sits there and says, "Well, how do the Rays do what they do?" They don't draft well. You don't see them like kill it in the draft. What they're really good at is scouting guys that are in other people's system, and then knocking on the door and saying, "We like this guy in this throwaway deal." And, and picking somebody's pocket when the guy's really early on, but now they've seen him in the pros, like just the, they're, they're playing, they're playing in, 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 in professional baseball at a minor league level and they get a, they get a better look at him and they're very good at scouting that and then bringing that guy in and fixing whatever needs to be fixed and elevating them quickly through their system and getting them up to the major. And that's how to keep their costs down because they can't, they, they can't afford to have a high payroll like the White Sox have had over the last couple of years. 
And that that's what's crazy about it. Like if you could get that kind of mentality, if you could if you could take a a front office that was good at identifying talent and keeping costs low and bring them in and add them to what Jerry Reinsdorf will actually spend when he will spend. It's not like they haven't spent money over the last couple of years. But if you had somebody that was really baseball savvy and you had a staff that was baseball savvy and you had and you had built your structure properly with the people that are inside of it, you could save the old man money and be a better team. And with the old man's money, you'd actually perform better on the field because you'd be able to outspend teams like the Rays and outspend teams like the Pirates who are in the middle of their build out there. And they have a much cheaper owner. You'd be able to go out there and use their philosophies and outspend when you needed to outspend. And then you'd be unstoppable. But the problem is, is that the structure's never been there. Like they always talk about, well, we got to establish the White Sox way. What is the White Sox way? Why aren't guys taught to play a certain fundamental way in the minors that translates when they get into the majors? Where, where is that? Why does Pedro have to walk in and teach guys how to take pitches? Why, why does Pedro have to walk in and teach the White Sox the Royals way because right. there is no White Sox way? Because there is no White Sox way. And that's the fundamental problem with the team, right? You can get hung up on this guy isn't performing and somebody's streaky and, you know, what, what, what are we doing with this signee and we spent too much money on our bullpen. But if you really look at the core of everything, it's the fact that they don't really have a way that translates. They don't really bring up guys that when they get there – don't have to be taught anything else. Why, why is the why is the manager still teaching basic things that other people learn when they're coming up through systems on other teams? Because there is really, it's a, just a discombobulated mess down there. You have to build a structure. You have to have good scouting. You have to have good development. You have to have a structure. And you have to teach something from the moment they get into your system until the moment they get to the major leagues that translates when they get to the major leagues. Not sit there and be be having fundamental practices like in the middle of the season, trying to unlearn things and bad habits. That was what the minors were for. Why aren't they being taught that there? That's really the biggest flaw in the team. That's why you don't have depth, and that's why you don't develop very well. Because it all starts with your scouting and your development, and that is the biggest mess on the White Sox. Music means it's time for the Sox Nerd. Dave Marin sits up in the scoreboard, puts all those really cool tidbits out there. He's brought to you by the Village of Lamont. Want to experience a downtown with real history, great eats and drinks, and green spaces filled with adventure? Visit the Village of Lamont. Shop, dine, drink, explore. They got a barbecue fest coming up later on this month, and on June 10th, they're celebrating their 150th anniversary. We will be out there. If you're in the Lamont area, come see us at the festival June the 10th. See more at LamontDowntown.com. Take it away, nerd. Well, Chris, with the Sox fresh off a series with Mike Trout and Shohei Otani, I thought I'd take a look at how some of the greats of the game have fared against the Southsiders. Trout and Otani sure showed off their greatness against the Sox. The display on Wednesday afternoon was particularly impressive with Trout blasting a 461-foot homer and Otani launching one 425 feet and another 459 feet. This weekend, the greats keep on coming when future Hall of Famer Miguel Cabrera and his Tigers come to town. While his traditional stat line against the Sox isn't eye-popping, Miggy has hit more homers at guaranteed rate field, 26, than at any park he did not call home. Actually, Cabrera did call guaranteed rate field home for two games. 
His first appearance at 35th and Shields was in 2004 when his defending champion Marlins hosted the Expos for two games that were relocated here because of Hurricane Ivan in Miami. Cabrera's first homer on the south side was a two-run shot off future Sox pitcher Kelly Downs in the Marlins' 8-6 win over the Expos on September 14, 2004, before an impromptu gathering of 5,457. What sticks out to me, though, when it comes to the Sox against the greats are when the Sox get the best of those greats. This is the fun stuff, because as we saw on Wednesday, the alternative is just too painful and too lengthy to recap. Okay, I'll give you one. Lou Gehrig hit a record 380 with 37 homers and 154 RBIs in 151 games at Comiskey Park. As for the Sox getting the best of the legends, maybe my favorite snapshot here involves backup catcher Chris Widger. On August 21, 2005, the Widge, part of manager Ozzie Gian's Sunday lineup, capped a six-run, three-homer, fourth inning with a three-run tater off Randy Johnson in a glorious 6-2 win over the hated Yankees. One more, on September 19, 1993, Robin Ventura hit the most important homer of that glorious division-winning season. On a Sunday afternoon in Oakland, Robin clubbed a tie-breaking two-run homer in the ninth off peak Dennis Eckersley to hand the Sox a 3-1 win and an insurmountable four-and-a-half game lead in the West. I was so shocked and so overjoyed at that moment I hoisted my two-year-old daughter upon my shoulders and took her on a victory lap around the house. Hopefully, I'll be doing that with my grandkids soon. As for the Zingers, Chris, here are a few involving the Sox and the Greats. George Brett was one of the best hitters of his era, but he could not solve the Sox Kevin Hickey. The lefty from Kelly High School held Brett hitless in 15 at-bats. Albert Kuholt came to the plate 13,041 times in his career. He had one sacrifice bunt, and it was presumably ordered by manager Tony La Russa on June 16, 2001, against the White Sox, Sean Lowe. And one more, the great Henry Aaron faced 22 teams in his Hall of Fame career. The Sox were the only team Hank did not victimize with a homer. Of course, Hammer and Hank faced the White Sox in 75 and 76 when he concluded his career with the Milwaukee Brewers. That's it, Chris. Now bring on... Miggy. Socks in the Basement listeners do the hard work. And if you're a hardworking man or woman on the South Side, you need to be outfitted properly. And that's why you should visit Red Wing Shoes in Evergreen Park, New Lenox, and Geneva. A work boot specialty store that carries sizes from 6 to 16 and feet as wide as 4E. A 115-year-old company that came out of Red Wing, Minnesota, and one of its largest stores in the entire Midwest is in Evergreen Park, Illinois, ever since 1976. When you're on your feet, the footwear is everything. So why not get an expert fitting? They warranty, repair, and offer free conditioning with laces. And they also carry Carhartt work clothing as well. Located at 3347 West 95th Street in Evergreen Park, Illinois, at 208 East Maple Street on Route 30 in New Lenox, or at 1749 South Randall Road in Geneva. Visit them today. You work hard. You've earned it. Red Wing Shoes. To, to, to illustrate your point, let's look at Romy Gonzalez, right, who I... You called me out on Twitter for taking a shot at him, and then he goes and hits three home, hits home runs in three straight games. Yeah, um, but here, here's Romy, and and the shot wasn't necessarily intended at him as being he's not worthy of a major league roster. He's not 
capable of being a good player, but he's never really shown anything at any level that would sit there and suggest that he is going to go to another level unless Pedro somehow teaches him something at the major league level, which is not what you want to do when you're in a contention window to try and allegedly in a contention window anyway, to try and sit there and say, we're going to build a second baseman on the fly. In college, Romy Gonzalez has a batting average of 254, an OPS of 739. Uh, he is a guy that gets on base at about a 330 clip. That's over 137 games. In 286 minor league games spread over rookie through AAA, he has a 258 batting average. He gets on base at about a 330-something clip, a 795 OPS. He's now not quite performed up to that over the parts of three seasons in the majors. He's hot lately, which is bringing those numbers up. But effectively, you can probably expect that if he reaches some sort of a peak based on what he's done in the past, the guy's going to be about a 250-something hitter, get on base at about a 330-something clip, have an OPS of somewhere in the 700s, and there's no development. There's nothing he did differently between college, through the four seasons in the minors, and into the majors that would suggest that his recent power output, for example, is anything other than a guy on a heater. So you you don't see a Romy Gonzalez who probably does have some talent. Actually, I think defensively, he probably is one of the better infielders on the team overall. And he might be okay in the outfield. I haven't really seen enough of him to know. But Ben Zobrist was a guy who was established as the leadoff hitter on a couple of championship teams. Romy Gonzalez is not that. Romy Gonzalez is a career 250-something hitter over his amateur and minor league career. And what have the White Sox done to make him hit for a higher average and be an on-base guy and take advantage of his speed? What have the White Sox done to help him tap into his power, which he does have some power, to try and improve that or, or, or become something of a power-hitting second baseman? What have the White Sox done to take any of the arms that they have drafted that's not Garrett Crochet, who they took literally from college and threw him in their bullpen, or find the one guy in Davis Martin over the past couple of years that seemed to have had some level of success as a starting pitcher in the major leagues, where is everybody else? Because all they do is they pick up 30-something quad A guys like Jesse Schultons, and again, these are not shots at these guys in particular, but Jesse Schultons hasn't proved that he is going to be an established major league starter. Neither has Tanner Banks, for that matter, although he's been pretty good out of the bullpen. But these are the guys you have starting for you in AAA and guys like A.J. Alexi, who have already flamed out of a couple of different organizations, where is the talent that you're developing? Where's the guy like, uh, there's a guy that the, the Braves just brought up. He's got a hyphenated name, because that seems to be all the rage these days. But <laughs> A.J. smith Shaver, Right. It, it, he's a seventh-round pick who they worked on his mechanics, they worked on his stuff, they developed the guy. And the comparisons that are being made are to Spencer Strider, who is one of their top pitchers. And this is a guy that was drafted a couple of years ago in the seventh round and is now taking his place in a Braves rotation, and they are actually competitive. But we don't have that. You know, the, the, the Sox, Chris Getz and, and the minor league system, they haven't put that together. They haven't figured out what the White Sox way is to get that done. Meanwhile, the Braves, the Braves way is clearly take power arms or take guys that have high strikeout potential and keep bringing them to the majors and seeing which ones of, of, of them stick because the Braves, if you watch what they're doing, endless starting pitcher prospects. It's just like the Guardians, these sort of endless starting pitcher prospects where guys are just there. There's a next guy up. Here's a great example that illustrates the biggest problem going on with the White Sox. 
Remember right before we started bringing all these guys up, we had tons of guys on the MLB pipeline top 100 list. I wouldn't I wouldn't say tons. We had we had all the guys that Rick acquired in the trades. Right. When they came up, we had nobody left on the list. And now there's only two guys on the list, Colson Montgomery and Oscar Colas. Okay? That was it. Meanwhile, when you look at a when you look at a team like the Dodgers, they're constantly on that list. They graduate somebody and somebody else comes up. It's not because they get more draft picks than the White Sox. In fact, they draft further back from the White Sox because they finish better. So the White Sox get a crack at a player before they get a crack at them in every single round. It's because of how they identify talent and they develop the talent. They have seven guys on that list right now and many more that were on that list playing on the team. And there's constant competition and constant improvement, and there's always a well to go to. You have that well if you want to go make a trade. You have that well if you need to bring up a guy. Bobby Miller just sat in the minors until he was 24 years old and an injury. He's ready to come up. And what does he do? He comes up and he pitches fantastically in his first couple starts. And he wasn't even a guy they had room for on their roster. Now they have room and they bring him up. They have a wealth sitting down there. And they don't have that wealth because they're drafting earlier. They don't, they don't have that wealth because they just happen to be in L.A. and somebody's giving them some kind of special cheat code that the White Sox shouldn't have access to or don't have access to. They're just run properly. They have a really good structure. They're basically what I said the Sox should be. They're a team that can spend when they need to, but develops players the same way that the poor teams develop players. They, they develop their players and they draft and they identify and they scout and they do everything better. And so not only do they have the money to spend, And not only can they keep the guys they want to keep, but there's constantly guys that are sitting down there and they're ready. And when they come up, they perform the moment they get there. Most of them walk up and perform when they get there. And if they don't perform, they just send the guy down and bring up another guy. That's the wealth they have. And and that's in the end, that's how you fix the team. You know, I mean, we could sit there, we could sit here for for days and days and pour over possible free agents and, and possible trade targets and what you're going to get back from people. But in the end, if you really want to fix the White Sox, you have to you have to create a better structure within your organization. You have to create better scouting structures. You have to start getting rid of people that have lifetime jobs in that place. You have to get rid of the nepotism that's inside of the building. That That's where their problem is. Their problem is at the core of the team. All the surface stuff is the easiest stuff to get angry about. But the reason the surface stuff even exists is because the core is rotten. They're not really good at identifying players. They're not really good at developing them. They don't have a style. They don't have a system. Their guys aren't ready when they get up here. It's the core. It's the guts that you don't see every day. That it should be the base. It should be the the, the foundation of which the team is built upon. No matter what the payroll is. No matter whether or not a guy works out or not. If you have a good core, you can handle injuries. If you, if you have a good core, you can identify things that you need and then go spend on the specific things that you need because you're not trying to sign everybody because you, you don't have a core. The core is everything, and that's what needs to be fixed within the team. And I, that doesn't really happen unless you start cleaning people out of there. Jerry Reinsdorf, if he ever heard this show, the one thing I'd want him to understand is you may really enjoy these people in the building, but you need to have some actual baseball people that are good at baseball in the building who are making the main decisions as to how you build your core. And otherwise you're just throwing money away. You're throwing away money. You're, te- you're tearing down your reputation. You're the most, you're one of the most hated owners in the history of Chicago sports 
and you've won you've won like seven championships, and everybody looks at the six that you got from uh, from the Bulls, and they go, well, that's because Michael Jordan was there. It wasn't him. He had nothing to do with that. Look what he's done since with his organization. And you have the World Series that the White Sox fans got, their first one in 88 years at the time, and they're, they're sick of you. They want you out of town. They're sell the team stuff everywhere. It's so strange to me that somebody would, would, would be so afraid to see new faces in the building that he would, he would allow that to continue to happen to his name. Because that's all that it's going to be at the end. At the end, the day, they, the day they put him in the ground, there'll be celebrations. There'll be celebrations within the White Sox fan base, much like it was when Dollar Bill Wirtz died. Is that really what, what he wants to leave behind? It, it is the definition of insanity. When you see him spending money on things like uh, acquiring uh, the, the full stake and, or, you know, acquiring the, the greater stake in that, in that stadium network, yeah. um, you know, where, where he now owns a, really a sports network that encompasses the one that's going bankrupt out, out West. And, and, and he's, he's doing this thing to set up for what everybody assumes is going to be a marquee network, a yes network type of, of uh, media delivery system for the white Sox. he's you're looking at that and you're going okay I, I understand from a business standpoint why you're putting your energy towards that but at the same time who's going to watch the games who's going to watch the content on this new network you have if the team is just brutal to watch and there's really very little hope for for the product on the field in the future you you wonder what the wake-up call is is the wake-up call when the season ticket holders go away even more next year you know, I mean, there's going to be people that are always going to go there, but if they thought they had a drop off over the anger of Tony LaRussa or the anger of last year, they're going to have an even bigger drop off this year. And so it's, it, it is shocking to me, shocking to me to watch something that's so clearly broken. And the guy who it, it, that's sitting there, who's worth billions of dollars, just doesn't seem to be concerned about the fact that it's broken. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always on SocksInTheBasement.com.